0: Hey, thanks for listening to Everyday Greatness. It's a nice little show brought to you by our major sponsor, ARA Group, an employee-owned company that provides essential services for your facility and infrastructure and is one of Australia's biggest supporters of community projects. Everyday Greatness isn't rocket science. We're just trying to make you feel proud again of simply being a good, solid human being by speaking to some real people who found that the strength they needed to deal with any challenge in their life had been inside them the whole time. The ARA Group is proud to stand alongside Everyday Greatness, and we all hope that you enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to Season 5 of Everyday Greatness. This is a show designed to help people realise there is greatness in being an everyday Harry Sacker rolls. On Season 5 of Everyday Greatness, we're going to be looking at what defines success and asking whether you need shiny, tangible, things to be considered successful, or if giving back to the world and surrounding yourself with good people is enough. I've been incredibly lucky my whole life to be surrounded by some sensational people that have given me the strength and resilience to get through the challenges in my life and keep me happy. One of those sensational people is Order of Australia medalist and charity auctioneer and all-around good bloke, Scott Gibbons. I asked Scott to be my co-host on season five, and I thought there's no way he'll be able to do it. He's too famous and too busy to say yes, but I was humbled when he said he'd love to join me. So I would like to welcome my co-host of season five of Everyday Greatness, Scott Gibbons. G'day Barnaby. How <laughs> Fabulous to be with you.
0: This has been a dream come true. Absolutely a dream come true. We're interviewing Kathy Kelly today. Did you know that?
1: I did know that and she's a wonderful person. I look forward to chatting girl. to her.
0: I'm just going to do a little intro for Kathy, because this is just...
1: She's a fabulous
0: soul. Because the, the strength inside a real human being is, is the underestimated power. And If people don't have anything more than a bit of grit, a bit of gumption, some self-belief and determination, they're often thought to be too weak to make a difference in the world. But our guest today, Kathy Kelly... Oh, she bucks that trend spectacularly. Cathy, along with her husband, Ralph, and their daughter, Madeline, uh, they lost their eldest son, Thomas, after he was cowardly king hit uh, and then hit his head on the gutter when he fell. Uh, and that was on his first night out in Sydney when he was just 18. And years later, Cathy's second son, Stuart, took his own life after extreme bullying during high school following his brother's tragic death. And Stuart was just 18 as well. And that's where a lot of people seem to think that Kathy must have some mystical X factor that helped to find the strength that she needed to get through. But Kathy never found anything extra. What was inside her the whole time was enough to see her through. A bit of grit, some gumption, self-belief, determination and amazingness. But being a real human being means that Kathy feels uncomfortable when people try and pump up her tyres or label her brave or courageous or inspiring. But Barnaby's going to have a crack at doing exactly that. So over to you, Barnaby.
1: Thank you, Scott. And I just want to pass on one of my enduring memories of Kathy Kelly. I've known Kathy for quite a while, and one of my most enduring memories was a conversation I had with Kathy. When she was at the height of a powerful keynote speaking career, Kathy used to get confused as to why audience members would rush to her and ask her what makes her so strong and how they could be that strong. And Kathy would always say, I don't have anything different. I'm just a mother, a, a wife, and a friend. I don't have anything that the rest of the world doesn't have. And Kathy was always confused as to why they were so. Admiring of her, they didn't know why she had such strength and bravery, and they couldn't work out why. They kept on thinking Kathy was some sort of guru on strength building. Kathy always felt a bit uh, modest when people called her a guru, and that's exactly why I think Kathy Kelly is a guru on strength building. <laughs> Kathy has showed me that the strength inside you is enough to get through any challenge in your life. There's a lot of fake strength around the world these days. A lot of people look stronger, more confident, happier and healthier than you feel. But Kathy has shown for her entire life what real strength is all about. It's an honour just to know Kathy Kelly. So to welcome her to everyday greatness is truly humbling. Kathy, thank you for joining us and I look forward to chatting to you.
2: Thank you for having me, Barnaby and Scott, and wow, what an introduction. <laughs> I'm sitting here, yeah, little tears in my eyes and big smile as well at the same time.
1: I hope they're happy tears. So, yeah. Kathy. they say time heals everything. Is it getting easier to cope with the loss of your two boys the longer time goes on?
2: Look, I think we used to say to each other, Ralph and I, that um, – it's not about time heals and I think that's a bit of a cliche. But we used to say that, you know, you learn to live with it. But we were, you know, we've just come up, we've just had Thomas's tenth anniversary since we lost him last weekend and we spoke a little bit about it and I think we both agreed that it really doesn't get better. In fact, I think the longer you live through the journey of grief, I think the harder it gets. That loss is just so deep. Um, I think, you know, we all go through loss at some point in our life, whether it's a parent or a sibling or, you know, God forbid, in our case, a child where we lose pets we love. You know, people are entitled to feel at that time when they go through that loss. But I think what the people who haven't experienced that feel, they're the ones where, the you know, that terminology comes from that time heals or they must be over it by now or whatever. And I don't think that's the case. We'll never be over losing our boys and there's not a single day amongst the three of us that are remaining in our family that we don't think about them and wonder what they would have made of their lives, where they would be now. You know, when we first lost Thomas, every time I saw a, a little boy, a little, you know, like a little toddler or a three-year-old or four-year-old, with their parent, whether they're being good or naughty, I would just it would just draw me to them thinking, you know, that it was him as a little boy. But as time goes on, I think, you know, and having lost both sons, I I find it hard not to look at every gorgeous young man that's walking past me in the street these days, or you might see in a movie when you're watching T V or something like that, and not wonder about where their lives would be today. But so no, I don't I don't think it gets easier. I think it gets harder because you just keep wondering.
1: Kathy, I know you hate when people say to you, oh, you're so strong, but you are a hell of a strong woman. That's incredible. When you lost Thomas, were you worried you might not have the strength to cope?
2: I think anybody that goes through something like we have has doubts that they're going to cope and... If I'm truly honest, there's been many times, not recently, but many times over the years where I just didn't want to be here anymore and thought not about how I would take my life or that I was definitely going to do it or anything like that, but it definitely crossed my mind that life didn't feel like it was worth living anymore. But I think the blessing that I had in my life was that I still had a child. I still had Madeline. And I couldn't do that to her. You know, I just couldn't walk out of her life and realise that losing her two siblings and then her mother, how could could anybody do that? And I think that's the, you know, and some people do. Some people don't find that strength to carry on. And, you know, you hear of people like, um, you know, that family that lost their three children in the Malaysian Airlines crash, you know, and they were on suicide watch by their friends, that couple, because... God, yeah, why would you want to live losing your whole, your three children? You just and, – and, and there was times like that where I felt like that. But I, I don't think it's whether I'm superhuman or anything like that or particularly strong. I guess people see that strength in me or bravery because we have been outspoken in the media and not everybody does that. And, you know, we've been criticised by people as well. Over the course of the years when they've seen me in particular in the media, I remember back when we first did an interview with 60 Minutes, With Thomas's um, killer hadn't been found. It was only within the first few days of his death. But we had people saying to us and the police, you know, it would be really great if you do this because we need everybody to step up so that we can catch this person. So we did interviews like that. And I remember... I'd never seen Facebook before at that point and we did the interview and that night Ralph said, oh, wow, I'm just looking at all the Facebook comments There's some really beautiful tributes to Thomas and our family here. And he went to bed and he said, look, don't sit here looking at it because, you know, it'll it'll just tear you to pieces. And But I did. I sat down and I started reading all these comments and everything was really nice. And then I came across a couple that were really unpleasant, people saying things like, Oh my God, look at her sitting there with makeup on. If that was me, I'd be blah, 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 sitting in a corner in a heap, you know. But what people don't see when you're in the media, and what I've probably myself judged people um, in the past, is that you don't see the pain that they're going through behind the scenes. You only see that moment of where they've had to step up and try and be brave and keep it together, <coughs> excuse me, so that they can actually get across what they need to say. So when we stood outside courtrooms and when we, you know, spoke to the media, there was no point in me standing there at any point and just being a blubbering mess. You had to hold it together for that very brief period of time to get across your point so that people would band behind you. And that really helped our case with Thomas. It helped us. The media helped us. And ultimately down the track, you know, the... Offender got a longer sentence because of that.
1: So, Kathy, whether you like it or not, you are seen as a guru on strength building by a lot of people. How does it make you feel when people describe you as strong, courageous, inspiring and brave?
2: Um, I don't... I mean, I, I don't see any of that as being offensive, but I guess I. I like to feel that I'm a little bit modest. I don't like being called those things in a way. And certainly I don't feel like I'm strong. There's been many, many moments over the last ten years where there's been virtually no strength in me at all. And, um, you know, I spend a lot of time on my own now because um, we live on the south coast and, and Ralph still has an office in Sydney, so he spends a lot of the time away. Um, our daughters moved out of home and so i was kind of surrounded myself with pets along the way and, look, I guess as far as strength goes and lack of it, if I didn't have the couple of dogs I've got and they'd bark to get me out of bed every morning, there'd be many days even still 10 years down the track that I just wouldn't want to get out of bed. So I'm not strong in that sense but as far as getting up and speaking to people um, and sharing a story, I do it because I believe that it gives others strength by being able to pass on, you know, your own experiences and showing people that I'm still here. And it's not for accolades. It's not for people to say those lovely things. And as we said, most people use those terminology, strength and bravery and all of that as being a compliment But sometimes it kind of hurts your feelings because it makes you feel like they think well, they couldn't do it if they lost a child or they lost two children. But every day has been difficult. I just get up when I don't want to get up and I put a smile on my face when I don't want to put a smile on my face and I go out and have a coffee like I did with a couple of girlfriends this morning. And sometimes you're sitting there, if the other two people are talking, you get lost in your thoughts and you think, oh, my God, what the hell am I doing here? I'd rather be home in bed. So there's strength when you need it, but it's not always there. What an that incredibly answer beautiful answer. That was, that was an really incredible answer. That, answer that was a
1: heartwarming <laughs> answer, Kelly. That was beautiful.
2: <laughs> Thank you.
1: So how did it? How did you feel when you came down from a keynote speaking presentation And you got mobbed by the audience saying, what have you got that I don't have? How come you're so strong?
2: I don't think I've ever been mobbed. But anyway. (laughs) But um, look, as I said, I think in the last question, I think it sort of overlaps a bit. It feels kind and generous of people to say those things to me, that I'm strong and I'm this and I'm that, but it also sometimes hurts because you don't feel strong and you feel like, I guess sometimes when it feels like it hurts a little bit, you, you feel like screaming at them, well, you know, if you are in my position, maybe you'd be just like me. Maybe you would, if you had to fight in the sense like we had to when Thomas died. We were told by the DPP that the offender would get between naught to years for taking our son's life and we weren't going to take that we were going to fight every step of the way and that's what we did and I think the fight in you is why you stand up and why you speak and why you tell the media and the media as I said have been great to us but they've also been horrendous moments with the media as well I think it's like everything there's good and bad in every form of media and everything else out there in the world Um, and you just have to try and grasp onto the good in people and try and push the the bad aside so you know when people say things that are are kind and generous like you know oh you're so strong and you're so brave as I say it it it's lovely then to say it but it also sometimes tugs at your heartstrings and thinks if you only knew what it was like inside this body you wouldn't be saying that to me
1: now I feel bad. I was about to give you a rap and say how strong you sound.
2: <laughs> <laughs> We've <Well, laughs> got a know. different
1: tangent. Your entire family, yeah. yourself, your husband Ralph and your daughter Madeline all have this persona of strength about you as a family. Did you guys sit down after Thomas's death and decide on a game plan you wanted to show the outside world or is this just how you guys roll day to day?
2: There was never any sit-down and planning. Look, yeah, certainly there might have been a few moments along the way where we had to discuss a couple of things, like when we were in the hospital, the four of us were asked about whether we wanted to donate Thomas's organs. So, of course, there was conversations around that. But as far as, you know, what perception we wanted to put out there for the public, no, that's never been discussed. And a lot of it is a brave face or... You know, I often say I'm sort of split into I've got this, you know, the side that I show to people and I've got the side that's private that, you know, not many people get to see. And you don't want people to see that. You don't want even your close friends to feel that you're not coping and that you're having moments of weakness or pain or crying or whatever. You don't want people to see that. That's a very private thing. So we never decided to. Put on a happy face. You just kind of have to put on that level of strength, and it is. I think it's a mask. And I think anybody that's gone through any form of grief or trauma or anything in their life that's that's greatly affected them, yeah. The the, the general public and even amongst close friends, they see a side of you. It's not going to be the the painful side.
1: Kathy, you have just put so much gold back into the world in a couple of minutes talking to me, but now I'm going to pass you over to my chief gold extractor, Scott Gibbons.
0: (laughs) Hi, Cathy. Good to be back with you again.
2: (laughs) Nice to talk to you, Scott. I didn't know you were a chief gold extractor.
0: Well, there you go. There you go. Like a really
2: good titan.
0: But I think you're a diamond, so (laughs) let's see what we can do. So just following on from one of Barnaby's questions, where he was talking about you being strong, courageous, inspiring, and you said... No, you'd prefer to be modest, and, and people come up to you after an event and they say you're strong and courageous and inspiring and brave, what, what would you rather they say to you?
2: Look, I don't, I don't think words are a necessity, really. I think if you, if you, I guess if I just step back for a second and you talk about, you know, if somebody loses somebody, nobody knows what to say, we're not. We're not, it's not instilled in this as children, you know, we don't talk about grief, we don't talk about religion, we don't talk about politics, we don't talk about suicide, we don't talk about domestic violence, we don't talk about any of these bad things in life and everything goes along and nobody knows what to say. So I think, um, you know, if you don't know what to say and if I'm giving any advice to anybody, the best thing that somebody can do if that person's, you know, happy to receive it is just to throw your arms around them, give them a hug or say, you know, I'm here if there's anything you want to talk about. I'm always here, I'm all ears, whatever you need. And let that person talk. That's what, to me, is the beauty. It, it's not so much about what they have to say to you because nobody has the right words. But if somebody comes up to me and I've done a presentation talking about, you know, it's, um, you know, maybe they can just say it's, it's, it's so lovely to meet you and, I've, I've, and people have said this. I've loved, you know, it's been a, such a tragic story but, you know, I've, I've followed your story and I think about your you and your family and that's what people have said to us and they're the kindest of things wow. that people can say.
0: Yeah, that, that does say it, doesn't it? And you're mm. right, we're not taught how to handle those sorts of things. We're not
2: taught. No, and I, I'd say that to people. If I do a presentation now and somebody says to me, you know, what do you think? Um you know, and it certainly might not be the right thing. And I'm not suggesting we sit down with our babies around the table from the moment they're born and say, oh, let's talk about suicide tonight and let's talk about this tonight and that tonight. But I think we do need to treat our children from a very young age, even if they can't necessarily understand it. Let's not hide things from them. You know, we there was always a time in the past, you know, where we never took children to funerals. And, okay, maybe part of that is because they're so little they might be crying and making a noise. But... I think we do need to give children from a very young age the understanding that everything isn't about isn't everything's not all through rose colored glasses and sure. that we need to talk about things that are painful so that they understand from a very young age because I think we have such an epidemic of you know mental illness or mental health and people feeling depressed and you know on from that people attempting suicide people actually committing suicide in today, that is, you know, we are starting to talk about it, and I think it's, you know, it, that's a wonderful thing. You know, we've, we're, get, we're making people, you know, like Rosie Batty, Australian of the Year, and people that have been through domestic violence or whatever, we're making people, giving them a platform. So governments are starting to look at that and give people a platform so that they can actually make a difference. Yeah. But, We wouldn't need those platforms if we were just open and honest from the time our children come into the world and we talk about the good things and the bad things in life so they have an understanding. It's not a shock for somebody when something – well, it'll always be a shock if somebody dies in the family, but, you know, that they have an understanding around grief because I think that's the biggest problem. We don't know how to talk to people about any form of loss. We all we bumble and fluff around and say all the wrong things and then you walk away and think, God, I wish I'd never said that. To that. <laughs> Isn't you know? that the truth?
0: Oh, yes. And I,
2: look, I, I, I tell you the worst blunder I've had in a long time. I was recently um, drove my elderly father's car home from Queensland and, of course, we were going to sell it. And I was in this shop and this gorgeous person was selling in the shop. It was a clo- ladies' clothing store. She was so beautiful, tall and thin like an Amazon, totally opposite to me. And um, I think she took a jacket off or something and I just noticed she was quite flat-chested and I said, you would not believe it, I said to her, oh, I wish I've got so short and dumpy and fat since I've gone through menopause. My God, I wish I had that beautiful flat chest of yours. And she said, I've had a mastectomy. And I thought, oh, my God. Why don't you stick your foot in the other side of your mouth? You know? I I couldn't get out of the shop fast enough. I was so embarrassed. I thought, what a stupid thing to say. Why would you say that to somebody, you stupid woman? So I think we're all capable of saying things that we might feel aren't great afterwards. And we do bumble around things that are hard to talk about. But maybe we can all start to you know, talk about it a bit more yeah. and be a little bit more open.
0: So in, in finding things that are difficult to talk about, and you've given TEDx talks and whatnot, and you've got a message, how do you prepare to give that sort of talk? What's your preparation?
2: Um, oh, look, I, do, I, I, I leave it to the last minute, like everybody. I mean, I don't leave it quite to the last minute, but, like, You know when you're going through school and you've got an assignment to do and you kind of sit up the last night trying to get it all together because you should have started it three weeks earlier? Uh I'm a little bit like that with my (laughs) writing and I don't think I'm a very good writer, but once I finally get it together, I feel like the message is usually pretty sound. But... um, and do, do do you, it, you
0: deliver from notes or do you deliver from PowerPoint?
2: Or I how do. You deliver? I do have a PowerPoint often if it's if it's appropriate, and I do deliver from notes. And Ralph has attacked me over that for the last ten years. You know it. Why you have to get up there? It's so much more emotional and powerful if you get up there without notes. And he does a lot of presentations as well. Mm. And um, but I said to him, you know, okay, you do it your way, but I use notes because. I am a waffler, and I, as you'll as you'll see in this podcast, I'm a waffler, and I will get to the end of my time, and they will cut me off, and I won't have said three quarters of things that I had to say. So I have to have it to keep me on track. (laughs) That's why I do it. But so I do. Um, yeah, I do tend to, you know, keep some notes, and I do. Even though I say I do it at the last minute, I kind of you know, procrastinate for weeks and weeks. Now, somebody might, you know, give you a presentation to do and I I think I put a lot into it because I'm procrastinating for so long but then <laughs> I sit up late at night and then I finally get it all down. But I always want it to be perfect and each presentation is a little bit different. Yeah. Even if it's around, you know, my, everything that I speak about sort of starts with the story of the boys and I used to talk a lot about our foundation and the work that we're doing and the changes that we made to the justice system and things like that. But I found as the time has gone on, people know our story because it has been fairly well documented in the media. So I tend to, if I feel like I'm going to be able to help anybody now by doing a presentation, I just want to share my journey on what it's been like so that they can understand if they're going through something, whether it's, you know, being bullied at work, or whether they can't get the, you know, the get up and go to do something because they don't believe in themselves enough, or whether it's, you know, any number of things. I think you can still get that through the story of just getting up and having a go, and fighting for what you believe in, surrounding yourself with people that care about you and love you and and believe in you, yeah. and just putting one foot in front of the other each day, and and, and whether that's a young child going through something at at school or whether it's something you're going through in your workplace, all those things are connected and I think we need to be a little bit more vulnerable and if if you're vulnerable um, that can be hard sometimes because you'll have people that are haters and say nasty things but I think if you surround yourself with people that are really your people and people that believe in you and that they're decent people then you will get that inner strength because they're the ones that are supporting you. But if we surround ourselves with, you know, the people that are the cool guys at school or whatever, quite often you come unstuck because they're the ones that end up being nasty.
0: Yeah. It's an incredible talent that you have where you can talk and capture an audience where they want to respond with you when you're talking about things that are so negative and painful and not the sort of things that people really want to listen to but it, everybody seems to come out having learnt something better to better them. So you're a wonderful soul for doing that.
2: Well, I think that's why you do it. And, look, to me it started, the speaking came about because, you know, first of all, Ralph used to get me to speak in front of the media when we came out of a courtroom. And, look, I suppose he didn't feel comfortable, but he also felt that if we were trying to get the community to get behind us so that justice was served initially, um, that maybe a mother's message would be a little bit more powerful. Absolutely. And so sometimes I look back at that and I feel like he used me a bit. But, I look, I don't think he meant it intentionally in a, in a terrible way. He did want people to get behind us so that we would seek the best form of justice for Thomas. I agree. So, I agree. Yeah, so that's kind of how it started. And then I think I started to feel that... I was making a little bit of a difference in some people's lives and I started doing a couple of school presentations cuz the old school would ask me to speak and you know sometimes you walk away from something like that and you'd feel a little bit gutted because you could see them out there playing on their phones they weren't really interested in what I had to say but there'd always be one kid or a couple of kids that would come up to me afterwards and they'd have tears pouring down their face and they'd you know and they'd say something like oh you know my cousin just took his life or oh. something like that you know, and then I remember one time I spoke at a small sort of retreat for a school a couple of years in a row and the teachers who were there told me that there was a um, a young woman there who was quite suicidal herself and she hunted me down on Facebook over the next, oh, I think it was that same day and sent me a message and said, I've just been to the doctor with my mum and dad and because of you I want to live.
0: Oh, wow. Just,
2: you know, I didn't oh. really do anything to, you know, I shared my story. But I just, I guess at that time I said, you know, you just have to understand if you're going through something tough in life that you've just got to surround yourself with people that care about you. And even if you think your mum and dad hate you or you come from a broken marriage or something, I said there are people there in your life that love you. And if you support yourself with that, I said just remember they will be devastated as we are. I said, this has, you know, destroyed our family. You know, it was bad enough losing Thomas, but when you lose a child to suicide, I don't know, that doesn't seem to me like there could be much, anything worse than that because you question everything you did in their life. How could they possibly have not felt loved? We loved that child with all our heart and soul, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and we did with Stuart. But I remember there was a com- he was having a conversation with a young woman over the internet from Canada. And um, long story short, she contacted Madeline through social media or however, whatever you do that, I don't really know, and said that she- he had told her he was going to take his life. And Madeline was she, she I don't know whether you know they weren't actually talking. I think it was what through texting or whatever. And Madeline was furious. She wanted to strangle this person. You know, she didn't oh. reach out to us. But, you know, he had also said to her that he felt that there wasn't a soul in the world that cared about him.
0: Oh, dear. And
2: you can imagine how you feel and you question everything you ever did. You know, there'll always be a part of us that feels a certain level of blame for losing our son by taking his own life. And I think anybody that's gone through, uh, lost somebody that way will feel There'll, there'll always be some level of doubt in your mind that you should have been able to do something oh, and you couldn't. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, so, we, none of us really know that.
0: So you're talking at the moment. What What is that more focusing on? What, what sort of topics are you focusing on?
2: Um, look, I did do a presentation. I haven't really done anything much through the course of COVID because I haven't really sort of gone out of my... Way plus obviously people are in lockdown, particularly in Sydney, for so long. Um, but I've I've spent a bit of time writing lately um, and um, I'm trying to sort of refocus on what it's been like for myself and going through my life so that if people are experiencing some difficulty in their life, no matter what it, what it is, that they might get something out of seeing that it hasn't been, a you know, uh, an easy journey that it has been, you know, I think people look at Ralph and I and think, you know, we're that one couple that have survived not just one child's death but two chil- child- oh, children's dear. death yeah. and that, you know, we have, um, you know, we must have this incredible love and how amazing we are and it's not been like that at all. We've just gone through 16 weeks. It was sort of spread over a long period of time because of Christmas in the middle and various breaks and things with the therapist and and what our availability was like as well. But we've just done 16 weeks of intensive grief counselling, which was gifted to us through this incredible organisation that we just happened to come across at one point. And the therapist was just amazing. And she actually said at the very beginning, you know, this is This is about grief counselling for couples lost a child, but she said, "I think we need to go way back because your marriage is in in a shambles." And she was right. And we got to the end of sixteen weeks, and we didn't even get to talk about grief because we was she was so busy trying to fix us. And she has saved us. And I don't know whether we'll last forever, but part of this journey of we we're we're going on a a trip. Later this year, and we're going to spend some time together to try and reconnect.
0: Oh, so people see year.
2: us as being this amazing couple, but yeah. it has been absolutely traumatic. Oh, and traumatic. The, the, the further we've gone into the time frame, I guess it goes back to Barnaby's first question. The longer it's been, the less we were talking to each other. Yeah, and the less we were connected about the boys. We, Ralph, had just to deal with it himself, and he couldn't let me in to his thoughts, he didn't want to discuss anything. And here I was on the other camp saying, I need you to wrap your arms around me and tell me that you love me and we need to talk about the boys and we need to, you know, remember everything and he couldn't do that. So it, the, just this big rift in the middle of us that was just tearing us apart. But this lady has given us some tools in how to lean in for him, lean in a bit towards me and for me to lean out a bit to give him a bit more space. And a lot of this goes back to our childhood um, and, you know, the way we were brought up. And Ralph went to boarding school at seven in England, you know. So he got told to, you know, stiff up a lip, don't you dare cry, you be a strong individual, you know, your mummy and daddy aren't coming to save you, you know, you got to do this. So all of that has been, you know, absolutely, what's the word, it's just sort of blown out of proportion after we lost Stuart. It just made him shut down even further and further and further. And I couldn't understand it. I just couldn't because we were two totally different people at opposite ends of the scale. So we've learned a lot about each other through the therapy that we had and hopefully it's given us the tools and the strength to be able to maybe reconnect a little bit better now that we've got a lot of stuff behind us.
0: I, I think you're one of the most generous people. I've ever spoken with because you're sharing stuff. You're sharing pain without blame and you're you're just amazing. I know there's people that are going to be listening to this podcast and they're going to be helped, if you like, just because you have such a belief in making things good again. It's such a, a mature, wonderful thing that you're doing. So thank you. Thank I
2: just well thank you for that. And look I I think I'd just do it because it gives me purpose. Yes. Otherwise, I'm not really sure what I'm here for anymore. You know, my daughter's grown up and moved out of home. She's recently got engaged and living her life and and very busy and I know that she loves us and cares for us, but you know what it's like when you in your mid-twenties and you're living your life, mum and dad, you know, they kind of of take a bit of a backward step because she's so busy. She goes to work, she's got a little house to run, she's got a partner, she's got stuff going on. So for me, it's just become lonelier and lonelier, um, losing the boys both so suddenly in such a short space of time, letting her move out of home, having a relationship where we didn't know how to talk to each other anymore. Mm. And so I guess Mm. by being able to share whether they're little pearls of wisdom or things that I've I've felt, it's made me realise that sometimes there might be just one person that hears that might get something from it and it might make a difference to them. And that's why I do it. It just gives me something to share and it gives me the strength and the courage, I suppose, to share what I've been through with so that I can remember the boys by talking about it too.
0: It's beautiful. You're, you're incredibly generous. You are just generous. So I've got to say thank you. Uh, before I pass you back to Barnaby, I just want to <coughs> wish you a and Ralph a terrific trip, because if you're going away, you thank two you. just deserve to, to find joy in any way you can. So thank you for thank your you. generosity of, of of just opening up and talking to us all, and I'll pass you back to Barnaby.
2: Thank you, Scott. It's been lovely talking to you.
1: Thank you, Scott, and welcome back, Kathy.
2: Now, Cathy,
1: I want to ask you a question as just a regular Australian woman, Cathy Kelly, mm-hmm. the everyday human being. Do you get sick of talking about strength, grief, inspiration and coping? What do you want out of life these days as just a regular woman?
2: Oh, I just want to be content, I suppose, and I want to find some joy in my life. Yeah. Um, You know, I think there was a time, we we just spoke with Scott about maybe Ralph and I going away for a little period of time later in the year and I think, you know, there was a time after we lost Thomas where we we took the kids away and we wanted to, you know, just get them away and try and be normal and there was something really sad about travelling at that time that you just sort of lost the joy in it but I think, I don't think Anybody that you lose in your life wants you to spend the next 20, 30, 40 years of your life sitting back feeling sad. They, I guess everybody always says, you know, they wouldn't want you to be like this mum or dad or whoever. They would want you to be happy. So I think for me, I just want to be, you know, I want to be happy. I want to be content. I want to find some joy. I want to be able to remember my boys and and the sad parts of that too. I don't want to lose any of that, but I just want to get on with life and um, make the most of it because I just turned sixty one and you know the end of the tunnel is fast approaching. I just I just want to be content.
1: Well, if anybody has earned contentedness and happiness, it's you guys. So, along with Scott, I wish you all the best as well. What Thank would you me. say last just to finish off? what would you say to any young person that faces an unexpected challenge and doubts that they have the strength inside them to deal with it
2: i think that they really need to to believe in themselves you know i think all individuals we have things in our head that get a bit mixed up at times but i think we if we look deeply enough we know what we we like and we want and we and we also know what's right um, and I'd just like to add there there was, so um, we still have a foundation stay kind but uh, the Governor General is our patron David Hurley, the Honourable David Hurley and he made a statement on time which said the standard you walk past is the standard you set and I think it's just an incredible statement, you know we're saying things like that, that to me means that if you walk past, past somebody, say we use the you know, a bullying incident you see a couple of kids at school and they're picking on this kid all the time and then you walk past it and you sort of join in or don't join in but you walk past it, you're condoning that. So let's let's believe in what we believe is right, whether it's yourself, whether it's things you see around you. If you believe in the goodness in the world and believe in what you, you know, deep down think is your belief in what you want to do with your life or whatever, surround yourself as I said before with those who care about you and even if you feel like you're all alone in the world I'm sure if you dig deep enough you will know that there is somebody that cares about you and if you're a young person struggling with your life you know there will be maybe um, a counsellor at school that you can maybe talk to or if you've got a good friend but they don't understand because they're just another young kid like yourself but you like their parents and you don't feel you've got any connection with your own, maybe you can confide in them. There will be somebody that you can surround yourself that cares about you and loves you enough to give you that strength. And I think just dig deep. You will find that strength inside you, And like I've had to do, and just get up each day and just do one little thing that makes you feel happy, one step at a time. And I think that makes all the difference.
0: Wow. Kathy Kelly, your openness and candor is just just so different to what we normally get. You you actually talk both sides of the page. It's beautiful. It's a you're very, very oh. wonderful. I, I on behalf of the Everyday Greatness team, I want you to find that joy that you're looking for and that contentedness that you're seeking and to get on with Thank life so. with a smile every day. I want you to have reasons to smile every day because you deserve it you deserve it and you've given so much back to the world and you've helped so many people so thank you Kathy scott thank
2: I you i really appreciate
0: that uh well there's there's kathy kelly I, i've got to thank everyone for listening i've got to thank the ara group i really want to thank the ara group because they've been our major sponsor now for five years in a row which is just wonderful I've got to thank you, Look Studio Australia, our amazing podcast people who put all of this together. They do all the recording, they make everything happen for us and they're just terrific. So I hope when you put your device down, you you just lift your head up, you put your shoulders back and you walk down the street feeling so proud to be an everyday Joe or Joanne bag of donuts for that one. But in the meantime, if you want to find out more about the show, just go to our website, everydaygreatness.com. Dot au That's everydaygreatness.com.au. And if you would, share Kathy Kelly's story around because her her wisdom, her knowledge, her passion on helping other folks is going to help more people. So if you share that around, that would be really good. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube or LinkedIn. Thank you for listening today. Kathy Kelly, have a wonderful, wonderful holiday. Have a great life. Thank you so much,
2: Scott and Barnaby. Thank you.